writer of Hebrews, he gives some pretty horrible warnings in that book. If you've read it recently, you'll know what I'm talking about. But he says something. He says that for those who have tasted of the good life to come, of the heavenly kingdom, amen, they've been enlightened, they've seen what was once hidden from their eyes. He says that if they go on sinning willfully, there remains no other sacrifice. There remains no sacrifice for their sins. And he says that the problem is, my paraphrase, that they have trampled underfoot the Son of God and treated the blood of the covenant as a common thing. Amen? And I want to try to... It's not new to you, but I want to try to reinforce in your thinking tonight the connection between the sacrifice no longer working and you viewing the covenant as a common thing. There's a correlation between those two things. Amen? He said if you go on sinning willfully, there no longer remains any sacrifice for your sins. Jesus died, and he died to take away the sins of the world. Amen? He himself is the propitiation of our sins and not of ours only, but those of the whole world. Amen? But that incredible sacrifice can no longer be ours, can cease to be ours at some point in our walk with God. And it would be simply because that the miracle, the power of the sacrifice is contained in the depth of honor, reverence, awe, respect that we have in our hearts toward it. So the sacrifice is incredible. The sacrifice is the most powerful force. It's the most powerful display of love in the whole world. But it has to combine with something else in order to be activated. Have any of you ever done anything with epoxy before? You'll know, you'll remember those of you who've done something with epoxy, that epoxy, there's two, there's two aspects to the chemical. One is the epoxy, and one is the hardener. And before you mix the hardener into the epoxy, it's like water. It's almost as thin as water. You can do anything you want with it. You can spread it. You can pile it. You can fill a gap with it. You can smear a canoe with it. It's just so, there's so many options. And it actually cures very, very slowly, if at all, depending on what kind it is. Amen? But then there's this thing called a hardener. It's another chemical. And that chemical is tailored to react to the chemical properties of the epoxy in such a way that when you mix those two together, the epoxy will actually heat up. I don't remember exactly the temperature, but it's hot. It's hot enough to burn you. And in a matter of minutes, it will be hard. And there's nothing you can do to change it. Amen? What is my point? I'm saying that the sacrifice of Jesus is there. It's powerful. It disarms principalities and powers. 
It is the greatest thing that has ever happened in human history. But it doesn't save everybody. It doesn't harden, if you will. Excuse my analogy. It doesn't become effective for everybody. He himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not of ours only, but those of the whole world. So does that mean that the whole world is sinless and on their way to heaven because of Jesus? That's what John said in 1 John 2. He said he's the atonement. He is the satisfaction. He answers the demand of justice for us and all the world. So is nobody going to hell? Is everybody going to be saved? Peter said, if the righteous are scarcely going to be saved, where will the sinner and the ungodly appear? Amen? Jesus said, the love of most will grow cold and many will depart from the faith. Amen. It's a minority that's going to be saved. It's a remnant that's going to be called out. So what happened to all those people who beheld the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and even acceded to the reality of what He had done? What happened to them that somehow that sacrifice, that sacrifice that can save the whole world, it's powerful enough, it's valuable enough that that blood can atone for the sins of the entire world. Everyone that had ever been born and walked righteously according to the faith of Abraham and everyone that would be born since then. Billions upon billions of people. Why aren't they going to be saved? Why is that atoning sacrifice not going to work for them? Because that sacrifice, as powerful as it is, has to combine with a chemical property inside of you. Amen? It has to unite. You have to unite yourself with that sacrifice in a way that makes it active and effective, efficacious. Amen? For you individually. And what is that something in you that has to unite with that sacrifice? Well, in a simple sense, it's faith, isn't it? That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Those who did and those who didn't unite themselves with faith with those who brought the message of salvation. And his point is to say Jesus is the message of salvation. But it is possible to become unmixed. He says those that were saved in the days of Joshua and Caleb were those that were mixed with faith. But the multitudes were not. Amen. They were unmixed. There was something about the sacrifice that was incompatible with their view, viewpoint, with their approach to life. So it couldn't get mixed. It couldn't become one. And he goes on and he says, speak, he puts the spotlight right on us, and he says, if we go on sinning willfully after we have tasted. So these are people who've really experienced God, aren't they? These are people who just have experienced what we have just experienced in this meeting tonight, aren't they? They're people who have tasted of heaven. It says, tasted of the good life to come. The kingdom of God. 
if they go on, there no longer remains a sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that if someone sins willfully, they will never be saved from that point on no matter what? No, Jesus said every sin will be forgiven except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But you're not going to be saved so long as you're sinning willfully. And what would allow you to sin willfully? What would allow you to cross boundaries you know better than to cross? What, what allows us to do it? I don't think there's probably a person in here who at some point hasn't sinned willfully in some sense. We, whether by apathy and attrition, we said, oh, it's not worth the effort. And we neglected so great a salvation. Amen? Or by venting or yielding to the passions of anger or whatever passion, we yielded. We, we gave way to something. We became deluded in our thinking. We became distracted in our purpose. We became weakened by the entanglements of sin. Amen? But we don't go on sinning willfully. Because if we go on sinning willfully, there remains no sacrifice. Amen? In fact, when you blow it, what happens to you? The fear of God comes upon you. Oh, God! What did I just say? What did I just do? Where did I just go? What did I just think? The alarms go off and we... Oh, we step back from the precipice. Why? Because the blood of the covenant is not a common thing. It's a precious, special, sacred, highly regarded, honored thing. And we know that we have to be in the right attitude in order for that thing, that covenant, that blood to cleanse us. So what happens to a person who comes into a meeting and can't be moved? What has happened to them? Paul spoke of it. He said, such are past feeling. He went on to say that they were apostates, reprobates. Amen. Jesus spoke of them to the church. He said, you've nearly lost your first love. Amen. What, what happens to love when you lose your respect for it? Those of you who've ever been in love, when you first were in love, everything was heightened. Your feelings, your awareness, your thoughts. You wrote better than you've ever written. You were more aware than you'd ever been. You felt deeper and you prayed more earnestly. Hallelujah. Amen? But the trick of the enemy is to take sacred things and turn them into common things. When you were walking along in the parched wasteland of your own isolation, you saw the wellspring of love and life from a distance. Hallelujah. And your heart throbbed with, Oh God, I've got to have that. Oh God, I've got to get there. And you, you cross the distance as it invited you to come closer, to drink of its waters of life and live. Amen. And you got there. And you said, I'll, I'll give up all my desert freedom in order to have 
a chance, the privilege of drinking from the fountain of God's love, of God's spirit and life. Hallelujah. Amen. And you knelt down and you praised God and the sky was bluer and the trees were greener and your friends were more lovely and you were alive for the first time in your life. Amen. But with time, that fathomless fountain, you slowly began to see the bottom of it. Not because you were emptying it with your need, as if your need were sufficient to deplete the resources of God's grace and love. But with time, it became shallower and shallower. Why does it become shallow? Why do the springs of most people's love dry up? Why do most loves die? Why do they dry up? Why do the fountains dry up in most people's love? Isn't that true in the world today? What makes it happen? The depth of the fountain is in your heart. The honor that you feel. And when the honor is there, that metaphysical compound combines with the grace of God. And there is no end to the resources of His love. He will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. He is all you need for life and godliness. Amen. You will go from strength to strength. Amen. You shall run and not grow weary. You shall walk and not grow faint. Hallelujah. As long as it's not a common thing. But it is hard for people to take possession of something and at the same time maintain regard and respect for it. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever wanted something badly? A possession? Think about it. A pair of boots, a car, something. A horse, whatever it was. Have you ever wanted something, a possession, badly? I want you to raise your hand. If you've ever in all your lifetime ever wanted something badly, and has it ever happened to you that after you got it, for the first couple weeks maybe, but then after a couple weeks, you looked at it and you're like, oh, man, why did I want that so bad? Well, it's possible you were deceived and that it wasn't what you thought it was. But is it possible that disappointment is the motif of all of our whole existence? Because that's what people live. They, live. they live a life of disappointment. So I don't know that the whole answer is that the boots are made of cheap leather. The mirror is, is cracked or whatever it is. I don't know that the whole answer lies in the problem with the product. I am, am suggesting to you that when it comes to love and things of true value, that the problem is in our hearts. The problem is that we lose respect. What does it mean to respect? To look again. To not take something for granted. To take a second look. To still appreciate it. To still say, it's precious. It's special. I'm so grateful. And that's what makes the fountain grow shallow. Is that over time, it becomes your thing. Instead of God's thing that he's given you access to. And it's hard 
to take possession of something and maintain respect for it. Oh, that's mine. Have you ever been with wealthy people who had things that they treated as oh so cheap and you thought, oh my goodness. I mean, you were nervous just seeing the way they handled them. Come on now, have you ever seen that? You wouldn't want someone to hurt something even if it wasn't yours. Someone brought a beautiful painting, a hundred-year-old beautiful painting by Charlie Russell in here, worth $50,000. And they ripped it out of its frame and made a paper, paper airplane out of it and started throwing it around the room. What would you say? Oh, it's not mine. Toodaloo. Amen. There's something inside of us that recognizes value. There's something inside of us that recognizes sacrifice that gives something value. So what could be more valuable than the sacrifice of God's only son? Do you understand? And when we see people tossing it around like, oh, so big deal, something inside of us goes, oh, no, 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 no. That painting, back to the painting, that painting isn't yours. You're not going to inherit it. You're not going to hang it on your wall. You're not even going to be able to touch it. But it still angers you when you see the rich man make a paper airplane out of it or worse, you had a ball and try to roll it across the room because it's precious. It has value to you beyond what it can give you or what you can get from it. Do you understand? It's valuable because it has intrinsic worth. And I'm not saying a painting does, but the sacrifice of the man who had a rare gift from God, represents a certain value. Do you understand? And you say, oh, that's wrong. Oh, I've got enough money to buy five of those. Let's say that it wasn't something as valuable as Charlie Russell. Let's say it wasn't uh, an irreplaceable commodity. Let's say it was just an expensive car. You saw someone drive up in a beautiful F-150 and take out a pair of keys and say, you know what, these trucks... $50,000, $30,000, whatever it is, I can buy 10 of them. They're nothing to me. Pull out their key and scrape it down the side. See there? Put a dent in it. I mean, there's something inside of us. Would you like that? It's no Charlie Russell painting. (laughs) It would upset me a lot less than the Charlie Russell. But there's something inside of us that doesn't like to see something valuable trampled underfoot. Because everything in this world is moving toward death. All the things of value are slowly becoming garbage and refuse. And we sense that we've got to work to keep valuable things precious. And this is what happens with love. As long as it's somebody else's, as long as you can't afford it, as long as it's one step away, you reach for it, you pray for it, you think about it, you obsess over it. And then it becomes yours. It's like, well, it's dusty. Tires are gray. They're not black. Carpet's filthy. Not such a big deal anymore. And slowly but surely, we turn the fathomless wellspring of God's love, of God's gifts, into nothing, into mirages. 
a shadow left on the sand. And we say, ah, love cheated me. Amen. No, love didn't cheat you. You cheated yourself. Love requires a respect inside of each one of us if it would sustain, if it would stay deep and powerful. Amen. You've got to look at every good and perfect gift as what? Coming from your, yourself? Coming from your idle person? Huh? No. Coming down from above. And you've got to say, God, the things of value in my life, they don't come from me, and they never really fully belong to me. They belong to me because they belong to you, and I belong to you, but they're not mine to do with as I please. Do you understand? It's your fountain, God, and I could dry this up if I'm not careful. It's your gift, God, and I could make it worthless if I lose respect. So something wonderful, the most, the greatest things in the world, the most valuable things can become cheap and even evaporate beneath our noses just because we lose regard for them, just because we treat the blood of the covenant as a what? A despised thing? A greatly hated thing? Loathsome thing? Huh? Oh, just, oh, come on. It's common. You ever been with somebody and they made some off-color joke about God or some, a man or woman of God, and, and you said, you make me nervous. And they laughed and said, oh, don't take yourself so seriously. What the big deal, man? What's happened to that person? It's a common thing. This is what happens to love between two people, too. They think it's just about them. It becomes their thing for themselves. It doesn't stay the property of the giver of every good and perfect gift. It doesn't stay something sacred that has its source in God. So it becomes commonplace. And eventually, it becomes dead. It's gone. Thank you, Jesus. And when we come into the presence of God, you want God to change you. But the depth of the power is inside your heart. The power is in the heart of the beholder. Amen? The power is in the honor of the beholder. So some can come and say, Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. We knew this man and his brothers and sisters. And others can say, My Lord and my God, grant that I may sit with you in your kingdom. Do you understand? Some can say, oh, <clears throat> have you also gone after his teachings? Which of the scribes and Pharisees have believed in him? And others can say, never has a man spoken thus. Amen. The power is in the honor of the beholder. Amen. So when you come into the presence of God, how much do you want to feel? Well, that tells you how much you need to humble yourself 
and regard highly the appearance, the sound, the touch of God. Amen. Do you understand? And sometimes it takes a sojourn in the desert of the heart before you start to see the fountains on the horizon again. Amen. But then don't turn them into mirages and say it was all an illusion. It was an illusion. It was real. But the depth was in the honor. And when the honor went away, the water evaporated. The love was gone. I hope you're seeing something. Young people, I hope you're seeing something. I hope you have faith sparking in your heart right now that says, God, my shallow love can get deeper right now in this meeting. Amen. God, my, my weak and anemic faith can become vibrant and alive again right now in this meeting. Amen. I can hear your voice again. I can see it again. I can feel it again. I can touch it. I can drink of it again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And this is why we worship the way we worship. This is why we humble ourselves. The way we humble ourselves, we're reminding ourselves of how insufficient we are with, apart from Him. Amen. Amen. You just imagine if you could never again feel the presence of God like you felt it in this room already tonight. Just imagine that. Just imagine that. Have any of you ever been gone for a few weeks and then come back and come into a meeting and said, oh, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. <sighs> Did it change? No, no, it didn't change. It just became less familiar. Less what? Common. Amen? Now, we don't want God to have to leave us in order to restore our honor and our awe for Him, do we? We want to walk with Him every day. We want to walk with Him in the cool of the garden. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. We believe that we can keep love alive. Amen. What does He say? Unto you, therefore, who believe, He is what? He is precious. Amen. But to you who disbelieve, the same thing is the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And why do they stumble? Because they're disobedient. Amen. Amen. They refuse to make the effort to pay the price, obey the call, the demand of God. Amen. Pretty soon... He that being often rebuked and hardens his neck is suddenly destroyed. Amen. Pretty soon, it's no longer there. You don't hear it. Amen. You've slipped from its voice. You've slipped from its grasp. Amen. You've outpaced its voice. Amen. Amen. I don't want to do that. Amen. God, I want love to stay alive in my life, in my relationships. I want the Holy Spirit to stay a fountain in my life. Amen. God, I want to honor you. I want to respect you. God, I want to respect what you're doing. Amen. I want it to be powerful still. Amen. I don't want there to, to be no sacrifice for me. I want that sacrifice to still cleanse and sanctify me. Amen. 
what God wants is for us to still look at him through the eyes of needy love. I can't live without you, God. You're still my breath. You're still my light. You're still my water. You're still my manna from heaven. Every word that comes out of your mouth. I still need you, God. From the depths of my heart, I still need you. If you feel that way, then you go home justified. And God will help you with your tax collecting. He will. He'll send somebody to your house. He'll bring a word. He'll send grace. But it all begins with your attitude toward him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you had faith, you could get what I'm talking about tonight. I, I can see that some of us are. Amen. Don't you want to leave this meeting feeling like God's child again? Feeling like God's needy, desperate, lonely child again? He has sent forth the Spirit into our hearts, not so that we could speak in tongues and never seek Him again. He has sent forth the spirit of sonship into our hearts by which we cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father, I still need you, God. I've never needed you more in my life. And the Lord knows it's true. Amen. Amen. I can't even walk without your help, God. Amen. I can't love unless you help me, Jesus. Please, God, help me. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I hope the Lord is touching your heart today. I hope he's not a common thing for you. Amen. Amen. Nothing's common. Not his presence, not his word, not his brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters sitting around you who really do care about you. Amen. This ain't a common thing. This is heavenly places. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I need thee every hour. Stay thou close by. Temptations lose their power when thou art not. I need thee. Oh, I need every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to
bring me peace. We love you. 